Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Christoph Feddersen. Christoph is the Vice President and General Counsel of Collins Aerospace. Um, now, you'll probably see from the time on this episode that it's a long one because we had a truckload to talk about. No spoiler alerts here, but I will shout out a couple of things. Unlike a lot of my other guests, what Christoph does is he takes us through what it's like to be or to be touched by Collins Aerospace and what that actually means for people like you and I. So many more touch points that certainly I'd known about. So that was a that was a great intro to certainly to Collins Aerospace and how it touches each one of us when we're travelling. The other thing I'll call out is um, when I think of Christoph and the topics we talked about, you know what I think of? I think of leadership. And it's, I think it's easy to see why someone like Christoph is in the position that he's in. He had 12 years as the most senior legal officer at United Technologies in their aerospace division. And when that split off and was um, uh, came under the umbrella of Raytheon, he's taken that position there as the chief legal officer for that for that business. And uh, interestingly, even for a few years, I think back in 2012 through to 2015, he was kind of hand-selected by the chairman and CEO of then uh, of United Technologies to, to become the executive assistant, assistant to that office. And uh, I think that also speaks volumes about the kind of person Christoph is. So anyway, enough of the intro. In the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Christoph, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure to be here with you this morning. Fantastic. Now, Christoph, you're the Vice President and General Counsel at Collins Aerospace. You've been there for three years. I think you were there when it split out from uh, United Technologies. Um, tell us a little bit about first Collins Aerospace, and then we're going to launch into a, a bit about Christoph Fedderson and the story that makes Christoph. So tell me first about Collins Aerospace. Yeah, th- thanks, uh, thanks, Jim. Obviously, th- this is uh, a great opportunity here because we we are uh, a very big, complex company, but sometimes it's a little bit difficult to understand what exactly we are doing. So if, if yep. you indulge me for a second, Jim, uh, and so your listeners, close your eyes and listen to the soothing <laughs> German accent, uh, uh, and I will take you on a quick journey to explain to you what exactly we are doing. So Fantastic. imagine uh, uh, yourself and your family going on a trip uh, after uh, the, the COVID pandemic has uh, has been uh, resolved, which we yeah. are in hopefully now, and obviously we we, we hope for the best that that uh, we we will not have a similar situation that we had two yes. years ago. But imagine yeah, you go on a so. trip and you get yep. to the airport and you park your car, you get your luggage, and before you actually get onto the airplane and you get into the building, uh, you check in at a self service kiosk as we all do. That is yep. typically a Collins kiosk. If you're right. tri- 
takes you to a fancy international destination, then your data gets sent to the authorities to ensure they have your passport info. It's called API. We provide that service too. Then at some airports, coming to an airport near you very soon, you can fly, no pun intended, through security because your biometrics <laughs> are securely processed and give you access. Yeah. We provide that service. In the meantime, you look to the left, the friendly cabin crew that travels with you zips through security by simply waving their what's called noon, no, known crew member badge. We yeah. provide that service. Then you get to the gate, um, and uh, as you walk down the jetway, you look outside and marvel at the engine. Quick uh, plug here for our sister company, Pratt uh, & Whitney. Uh, a beautiful engine that is. You see uh, uh, the outside of the engine. And actually, this is the only thing you see of the engine. That's the inlet, the fan cowl, and the exhaust. That's called the nacelle. That's us. Yeah. Uh, then you take your eyes off that piece of incredible technology, you inevitably look down onto the tarmac and see the landing gear and the enormous enormous wheels and brakes. That's us. Then uh, uh, if you could look into the wing with X-ray vision, you would see a lot of actuators, those things that move flight surfaces. You would see the icing equipment uh, uh, to ensure the wing doesn't ice over. That's made by Collins. Then in the distance, you see the bag that was too big for a carry-on, and you were frankly reminded by the by the uh, friendly gate agent to check it. It's being put That's on right. the aircraft <laughs> using our cargo system. You enter the aircraft, you see, depending on the aircraft type and design, the what we call the evac slide, the evacuation slide in the door. That's us. You say hi to the pilots on your left, uh, and you look at all the instruments and marvel at the technology in the cockpit. That's us. You turn right, you enter the galley, you see the galley inserts, the galley equipment needed to keep passengers happy. That's all us. Uh, because you were in a hurry when you got to the airport, you do a quick pit stop on the right. That's a Collins laboratory. And then you sit down in first class. And while you send your in-laws to like row 42 in economy and wave at them and wish them a safe and healthy. That's, and the, tr that's the children in my case. It's exactly. Um, uh, Christoph, that's the children, yes. <laughs> but you sit down in first class again as the rest of the family moves down to row 42. That's our seats. And then you look up, you see the passenger service unit. That's ours. You want to read your favorite magazine using our lights. You need fresh air, by the way, the HEPA filters, they filter out the entire air in the cabin every three minutes. Totally safe to fly on an airplane these days, even with a pandemic going around. That's our environmental control system. You use the Wi-Fi on board, that's our service, and on and on and on. I could go, Jim, you get the uh, idea. I'll tell you what. That's uh, kind of what we do. I was going to say, that is the best journey of the customer experience that I think I've had explained on this podcast. Christoph, so well done. I think everyone has got now, well, certainly I have, a much stronger appreciation of the um, of every touch point that Collins Aerospace impacts on it, certainly as a customer. So fantastic. So tell me, take us back a little bit, um, Christoph, take us back and tell us a little bit about the Christoph Fedderson story. How did you get where you are today? Yeah, that's Jim. I'm asking myself that sometimes too. And how, yeah. <laughs> how, what did I do that I'm still here seven <laughs> years later? Um, because typically uh, in these jobs, as you know, Jim, this, this is uh, typically exception to do this job uh, over a longer period of time. Yeah. Um, so I know 
no um, uh, secret here, even though I'm based in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, this ain't a southern accent. This is obviously a, a European accent, a German accent, uh, somehow in between Germany and Britain, probably. I studied started to study law in in Germany in in uh, called uh, a city called Hamburg in the north and then in Bonn in the middle of Germany that used to be the the capital of Germany at the time, and then uh, I uh, at some point uh, wanted to after passing the state exam in in Germany uh, and getting admitted to uh, to the bar there I wanted to spend some time in the U.S. Uh, and we can talk about that why that is but I had a brother who spent some time in the US and and I visited him there and I was very intrigued by that I have uh, an yeah. uncle who who emigrated uh, after the second world war and, and actually became a law professor in the US so uh, I had always my sight set on on the United States and so I studied uh, in the US uh, then um, uh, got in contact with a few law firms and started to work in a in a big international law firm it wasn't DLA Jim I have to tell you uh, but uh, almost as good a firm as DLA, and so started. Yes, I, I think clear that was that. Uh, that was Morgan Lewis to start off with. That was the I, first. Yeah, I, um, I, I first offer. If I got that right, at Morgan Lewis in Philadelphia. That's mostly because my wife is from. Philadelphia. All right, and then at Cleary Gottlieb, there, and there I worked go. Cleary yep. in Brussels, right? And so I worked yep. at Cleary. Yep. And really, why I am here today, compared to where I was twenty plus years ago, is because. People always gave me an opportunity and gave me stretch assignments. Always said, "I know yeah. you haven't done this before, but why don't you? Why don't you try it, and then see how you do?" And it's really uh, the opportunities that I've been afforded by people I worked for. I think is really what made yeah. my story and why I, I am here today. And frankly. The way I see my job these days is exactly that, giving, giving giving other people exactly the same kind of opportunities and stretch assignments to prove what they what they're made of and what they can do. And that's yeah. really that's in a nutshell, I think, why I'm here. So it's not that I'm particularly brilliant, Jim. It's not that I'm particularly funny or good looking, although funny. <laughs> yes, although I tell you what, for, uh, for those watching this video, uh, they will a, beg to a, differ there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a podcast, so people will not see it. But it's really it's hard work. It's hard work. A lot of luck and people yeah. who are taking chances yeah. on you. That's I yeah. think both two things. And, and uh, Christopher, we hear that theme a lot. You know, the, the words that you just echoed there that I think are some of those most powerful words, and particularly for those that are earlier in their career, if they hear the words, I know you haven't done this before, but if you hear those words from someone who's looking to give you a stretch assignment, a stresser, to, 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 to improve and you know, deliver you new skill sets, when you hear those words, you jump at the opportunity. Because yeah, they are right. the words that are the opening, I think, I think, for the growth that you're talking about, the opportunity and and being able to navigate your way through a successful career. I, Jim, I think that's exactly right. And it takes a certain type of person to take that challenge, right? So that there are yeah. uh, some individuals may not be as willing to take that risk or get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And obviously, it's always a question between taking a calculate, calculated risk on someone and pushing them out of their comfort zone versus pushing them too much and and unfortunately yeah. put them in a position that they really are not comfortable in or are, are will not comfortable yeah. 
will not be comfortable in the long term. And so that's that's always the challenge, I think, as a leader. We have about a thousand people in, in the all yeah. of what we call legal contracts and compliance at Collins. That's always the challenge that I challenge my team with and that, that I see my team really excel at. But it's, it's also the personal challenge always. It, uh, if there is someone who you put in a stretch assignment and it doesn't work out, the answer cannot be, okay, well, fine, I drop you like a hot potato, right? The answer needs no, to be, that's right. did I, did I, first off, I give you all the support you need, I, I yep. help you, and if, if we decide at some point it doesn't work, then let's find you a different job in our really yep. big uh, department that potentially caters to your abilities or talents or skills better than this one particular one. So that's, and that's always the, the challenge, I think, for us as leaders to make sure that it's not this one and done, that we are all extremely different and I can say this, I'm proud of the team that we have at Collins. Uh, it's it's an extremely diverse group and diverse really in the broadest sense possible. We uh, speak like uh, 16 languages all across uh, our presences. We have 177 sites out of 300, all of Collins worldwide, 300 in 130 countries. Uh, the uh, Our team or our team members, teammates are in uh, 177 sites out of those 300 in about 19 countries. So it's it's a real broad, diverse environment. And we typically find roles for for people who make the cut and come into the into the fold here because it's just we we offer so much and that's that's really it's a it's a great opportunity for for people coming in to really being able to a certain extent influencing what their career should look like. Yeah. And when you talk there about leadership um, uh, Christoph, and when it doesn't work out, that is part of leadership, working out, because leadership is not just the success stories where you can grow um, the team and the skills and, and those stretch assignments are successful, but leadership is also about how you handle when it doesn't work. So um, I think that's all part and parcel of being a great leader. I'm going to call out something which kind of caught my eye in your career. You took out three years between, I think it was 2012 to 2015, where you were the executive assistant to the chairman and the CEO at United Technologies. Tell me a little bit about that part of your career, why you took that step and what you learned during those few years. Jim, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. The I will tell you, just if I look at my career at my current uh, company, previously United Technologies, now Raytheon Technologies, the job that you have today is always better than the previous one. It's just kind of like the career progression that I have experienced. I've been extremely fortunate to, to have had really a lot of yep. interesting, intriguing, challenging uh, assignments. That one was particularly uh, intriguing and challenging because yep. you taken out of the legal function. So all the things that us lawyers feel comfortable opining on, it was all gone and you're <laughs> being thrown into something that you have never done before. It's like, uh, I didn't have an MBA at the time. And and so uh, it was almost the the um, uh, mini MBA that I uh, never yep. obtained uh, at, at, a, at a university or school. Uh, I actually got by, by a practice. So it was essentially you're this chief of staff for the CEO and uh, have to deal with uh, all the things that the CEO office has to deal with, from uh, interacting with the board, uh, uh, obviously interacting with uh, the the directors, making sure that the board meetings work well, attending the board meetings, 
making sure that uh, uh, everything is well prepared, not only for your own boss, but overall, uh, yeah, and yeah. anything and everything in between. Travel for the CEO, uh, uh, I, uh, it was a remarkable time. I attended meetings I would have never dreamt of attending with uh, heads of states all over the world, uh, uh, in the Far East, in the United States, talking to uh, big, important CEOs that, that uh, again, I, as a normal person, would have never been able to, to be in the yeah. presence of. And it was just a, a remarkable, remarkable assignment that really, I think, really helped me excel to be what we call in our company a business lawyer, so it's not you're not a lawyer. You're actually a business lawyer. You understand our business from A to Z, and uh, that makes us as a team so effective that all of our lawyers, and that's really what I acquired during the CEO stint, uh, working for the CEO, is you need to be so close to the customer and uh, internal and external, and to our technology yeah. and, and our products. And that's that's kind of what I uh, took away. It's really the almost like a mini MBA, uh, as well as a, a clear business and customer focus that I acquired there. And this was just a fascinating time. Not yeah, always easy, actually, I will tell you that. Not uh, always I can easy, imagine. But... I can imagine. How did it actually come up? How did, it, how did the opportunity actually um, uh, arise? Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in that because it, it is, well, it's the first time. I think I'm, I'm around about episode 50, and it's the first time I've seen kind of a senior lawyer step out and take on effectively the chief of staff to the CEO of a major global corporation. I'd just love to, how did that come up and what was your thinking at the time about whether or not to, uh, to take that opportunity? Yeah, it's a it's a great story. Uh, that, yeah. that uh, as long as your listeners um, uh, swear, uh, uh, swear my frequency. listeners, I will, I they love story. They, they um, love a story. We all love a story. It was I, I, before before that assignment. I was the lead lawyer in charge of the the Goodrich acquisition, which at the time uh, was a sixteen and a half billion dollar acquisition. Uh, until that date, the ever the biggest ever aerospace acquisition in in uh, in our segment. Yeah. And uh, I was in charge of that deal, and in particular of the of the regulatory aspect of it, because uh, there were a couple of what we call overlaps in antitrust uh, uh, parlance and, and some vertical issues that were obviously looked at by the Department of Justice and, and all the very sophisticated agencies around the world. And so as I was working that deal, I obviously um, interacted with a lot of senior management because you can imagine, uh, Jim, at the time, this yeah. is a, a big deal for the then CEO. He wants to make yeah. sure we get it done. We get it done quickly. We get it done the right way. Uh, we we uh, can tell our customers that we, we uh, live up to our promises, not only to the regulatory authorities, but also to our customers. So a lot of real attention. Yeah. And, the, and, and so I still remember how this came about. And in a nutshell, it's really pure coincidence and people were willing to take a, a chance on me. That's really what it is. I was the, the, yeah. the, the right person in the right moment there. And I still remember we were flying from then Connecticut, our headquarters, to Brussels uh, because I wanted to have my boss at the time when we did the Goodrich deal have the benefit of shaking hands with uh, the European Commission to get the European Commission approval. 
and as he was opening yep. a bottle of wine on the plane, he said, "I, I need to, I need to ask you something." And uh, I said, "Oh, that's interesting." And he yeah. asked whether I would be willing to take this job. And he explained that due to my interaction with the board and presenting to the board on regulatory issues and interacting with the senior management, that the CEO at the time became uh, intimately aware of uh, uh, my uh, um, shortcomings, I'm sure, but also my abilities. <laughs> and so he apparently thought it was a great idea if I could could do the job. Yep. And um, my answer to my uh, general counsel at the time was, well, I. I guess I either update my resume in two years when it's over, or I update my resume now if I don't accept the job. So it's kind of like I was. Yep. Uh, yeah. I was. I'm not sure I was really uh, left a choice, nor did I feel I had a choice. If you get that offer, you just have to take it and, uh, uh, and do yep. the best. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. And uh, and look, as I said, it's a kind of unique experience. I've got no doubt, um, as you've said, what what it actually delivered to you over those few years was immeasurable in terms of the, the additional skills, the experience and the insights that you would have received in relation to the business. So um, I would trade a real MBA for that kind of MBA, I reckon, any time. Christoph? I did get paid, so that's a big difference. I didn't yeah, you didn't get paid. They were, they were, <laughs> that's right, even, even better, even better. All right, so now take us, um, of course, as I said, you've been the most senior legal officer at Collins Aerospace since it, it split from United Technologies and now part of the Raytheon Group. Tell me a little bit about the early challenges and the early priorities in the first, in the early part of the three years, and then I want you to kind of compare that and contrast that to the kind of challenges and priorities you've got today. Yeah. Uh, let me start maybe, Jim, by by taking us back seven years. So I assumed the general counsel position of what we then called UTC Aerospace Systems in 2015. Yep. Or UTC Aerospace Systems was the combination of uh, the Goodrich acquisition that I already uh, mentioned about three years earlier, as well as the what we would call the legacy business of then UTC Hamilton Sunstrand. And so that was put together. But uh, prior to 15, it was actually a two-part business. So you had a census business and a, a more mechanical business. And so you had two legal departments, two presidents, two finance departments, two HR departments. So when I came in in 2015, my task was, because I was the general counsel of the combined business, and that, like in 15, it yeah. was together. Okay. My predecessors had half yeah. of them the job that I did. Uh, and so uh, I had to combine those two legal departments and integrate to, to legal departments. And it's really the challenges we had at the time is obviously integration always comes uh, yep. with challenges. You, you uh, need to make sure that you keep the right talent in place. You need to make sure you have the right resources at the right level. Uh, 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 we, we follow the model of like lawyers being forward deployed uh, where uh, we have uh, uh, strategic business units, Jim, where we actually have many legal departments for each of these strategic business units. Because serving, my, that, serving each my, of those units, right? Exactly. Yep. My yep. philosophy is you need to be forward deployed. It is all about the close proximity to the business, the clients, the products, the technologies. And it also enables decentralized decision making. Nothing is worse yep. in a big company that everything needs to go to one central monolithic. Oh, yeah, can I do this? And we, yeah, we enable our business units to the extent uh, possible, as governance rules allows, to really make their own decisions again within the framework that we give them. 
uh, and obviously compliantly and ethically and, and legally. Yeah. But um, so that was the first challenge, really making sure that we integrated, really putting ourselves into this forward deployed system uh, of, of uh, putting lawyers where they need to be. That was kind of like the first, I think, task. The second task uh, or opportunity is we, at the time already, we had a mix of subject matter experts, as well as what I call the embedded lawyers with the business and finding the right balance between having, again, as close as you can be to the customer. At the same yeah. time, there are certain subject matters that just don't lend themselves to being decentralized, like take M&A, for example, uh, take uh, talent and resource planning. That That is more a central role because yeah. you have a much better overview about the entire corporation where where the good talent is and what you need to do to bring other people forward. It's like the closely connected to that is functional excellence and functional expertise. And the the third challenge, so it's, it's really the kind of like um, uh, contrast between forward deployed and central and what is where and who is where and what's the right compromise yeah. and, and equation between those two. And then the third one was independence. Uh, we at Collins are uh, a fiercely independent legal department. Everyone in this department, all the thousand people, finally and ultimately roll up to me. So there's no uh, misunderstanding that if a lawyer or contract professional or global trade professional uh, needs to tell a business person uh, certain answers they may not like, uh, there's no no doubt who they report to, and that ensures independence. Not that we yes. ever need it, but it, yep. it, it, it does. It, it yep. serves as a very good reminder who who we serve and what our mission is, and and uh, our commitment to our customers, employees, and shareholders. That we, as an entire department, make sure that we live up to to what a legal and con contracts and compliance function really does, right? And so those were, yep. I think, the the first couple of months really of that of that. Um, of that time, the very quickly thereafter, Jim, we I saw uh, that we could really benefit from a more metrics-based decision-making analysis of what we're doing, whether it's staffing, whether it's uh, diversity and inclusion, whether it is uh, spent, whether it is uh, other ways to measure your effectivity as as a legal department, and so that's. The other thing yeah. I really started doing, we were uh, starting to be very metrics driven uh, to make sure not only I can justify internally the way we are doing things, but also once you have metrics, Jim, you can decide are these actually the right metrics to measure effectiveness and yeah. effectivity of, of a legal department. But then it becomes yeah. to, like the important piece of metrics is really not that you collect them, what you do with them. How do you get better the yeah. next day? based on yesterday's metrics, right? That, that's a continuous improvement culture that we started to instill across the entire organization uh, because that ultimately moves you from good to great, where you actually learn from what you did yesterday and how you make yourself better for the future, more efficient, more uh, uh, speedy, uh, and ultimately have that translate into a competitive advantage for your customers, as well as that's a big selling point for talent that we recruit. If, if yeah. they see our commitment to excellence, our commitment to to continuous learning and, and intellectual intellectual curiosity, that it's a real stimulating environment that that I believe attracts really very very good people and and people who want to excel in that culture. And so th those were I think the initial challenges opportunities that I saw. Fast forward seven years now, we are we used to be in 15 16 billion. 
in pre-pandemic times, now we would be 26 billion. 2019, we're at 26 billion dollars as a company following the uh, get-together of UTC Aerospace Systems and Rockwell Collins. Uh, that was another big uh, aerospace transaction that we closed in 2018. And so obviously now we have really different challenges. And yep. I think we are no different than any other big legal department in, in a very complex, highly regulated industry that uh, we, we I, I kind of try to um, distinguish them a little bit what, what is kind of germane to a legal department versus what is kind of like outside uh, uh, hitting our industry just as much as, as others. And so if I look at what is really unique to us, uh, it is that we uh, are still figuring out our the, the right operating model in a right. highly decentralized company with 300 locations worldwide. I mentioned we have 177 sites with team members at those sites. We are across 19 uh, languages, uh, sorry, 19 countries, 16 languages. So it, there is a complexity that we need to address every single day because we are evolving as the, our industry evolves and, and as our customers evolve. We embarked as part of the Rockwell Collins UTC aerospace systems get together, we embarked on a real important culture journey. Jim, if you look at our kind of like uh, genetic makeup of the company as it is today, we have about 16 or so legacy companies. So it's like when yep. I tell you Collins is one company yep. uh, and you ask, well, how real is it? Well, it, it is real, but below that, there are 16 very yeah. unique, uh, uh, different, uh, uh, almost different yeah. cultures and companies. And so integrating this into one, what we call one Collins culture or one Collins LCC culture, that is something that we concentrate on today. We, we are doing yeah. a lot of really good work on culture. Culture is very important for us as, as it not only facilitates achieving results, that's obviously everybody does it because of that. We also do it because it attracts talent and it retains talent, right? It's it's the, the famous uh, Starbucks CEO quote when, when he's asked, well, what, what makes the Starbucks people so different from anybody else? And uh, uh, I think his answer was, well, they're like, they're like people like you guys are. And what he meant is that they are just normal people, yep. but once they enter into the Starbucks culture, there is something that yep. gives them the excellence and, and what, what you and I see every morning when you go to the Starbucks around the corner to get your $12 uh, coffee latte. Um, uh, or latte. <laughs> but, uh, so that's, that is what we are trying to achieve. Really, we're putting a lot of energy and focus on that. We invite our employees to do that. And it's a unique opportunity for all of our employees to really influence what we want to be when we grow up. And that's that's just a very exciting journey, Jim. And I, I can give you all the details. We do like leadership effectiveness yeah, yeah. trainings. We have a whole program that we call the Collins Path. It's very, very exciting. And I'm I, it's a privilege to really work for a company that that really pays attention to it and 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 really puts a lot of energy and focus on it. Uh, luckily, our CEO uh, of Collins uh, Aerospace is committed to that and and uh, does a great deal really to energize uh, all of our 70,000 employees around the world to really try to influence what is it that we want to be when we grow up and, and how do we make this one coherent Collins. And that's a continuous journey. I mean, that's the exciting thing. That will never be done. And you, as long as you make progress today compared to yesterday, that's kind of like the, the benchmark for success. And it all culminates, doesn't it? I think it all culminates in 
in pride and being proud of who you work for, what you do, you know, whether you're seeing that in a Starbucks employee, it is all about I'm proud to be here. And if somebody is proud to be where they are, it shows that is where culture shines because, you know, I talk about three or four things in the end of the day, an environment where they're respected, an environment where they feel like they, they're contributing, where their voice is heard, and they're learning, they're growing. If you nail those three or four things, you get that pride, and that's where people want to work, being proud of who they're working for, the broader organisation, the team, their leadership, taking pride in all of that. If that's what culture should be aimed at delivering. Jim, right on. And it's it, it doesn't help, I have to tell you, it doesn't help, I have to admit, that you defy gravity every single second of the day, right? Like every single second, there are a million of our yep. products up in the air. That is just incredibly cool. Yep. I mean, it's just pre-pandemic, yep. when I was in the office, I could see all planes flying in uh, and out of Charlotte International, uh, one of the best airports yep. the country actually has. And uh, uh, it's just incredible because you know the plane type, you know exactly what's on there, you know exactly our equipment, our systems, you know exactly which ones yep. work, which ones doesn't. Uh, which <laughs> ones and so it's just, it's there's, just incredible, there's pride. Yeah. incredible pride. Yeah. And connected to that, Jim, also, because what you said is really key, taking pride in what we do because we need to achieve excellence in everything we do every single day. Because if you don't, only for 10 minutes one day, the results are not good. Because we are literally on every plane, we are literally on yeah. everything that, that flies yeah. these days. And uh, uh, your family could be on it, my family could be on that airplane. And so that is that there is a commitment to excellence that comes closely connected to what we do, yes. the industry we are in, and really the way we see our mission. And that that is just incredibly exciting. And I'm, I'm very pleased to say that you're exactly right, Jim. That the combination that you mentioned plus doesn't help that the industry we're in is kind of cool. We are attracting yeah. good people, really good people. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and certainly, particularly today, Christoph, um, one of the key challenges that General Counsel I speak with talk about uh, probably it's number one or two about talent retention, particularly in this environment right now where it's very competitive, it's very hot. Retaining talent is is like the number one number one or two priority. So what you're talking about there is creating that culture of of uh, that that results in absolute pride um, in what you do. That has got to be a key weapon for you. <laughs> a key part of your ammunition and artillery to get and retain the best possible talent, particularly in this environment. Yeah, Jim, you're, you're exactly right. The uh, I read this morning, uh, the starting salary for a first-year associate in a big New York law firm is $215,000. Oh, we're no. going to double-click double on that just in a minute or two. Now that you've brought that up, we're absolutely going to do a dip, oh, bit of a deeper and, dive. And, but that's what you're competing with. That's what you're competing with. That's what you compete with. And and uh, everybody knows that these salaries are not sustainable. Everybody knows that these first years, only a few will make it to seven or eight years. And yet there is a expectation in terms of pay in particular that, that uh, is a little uh, skewed because 
me as the poor in-house guy who certainly will not be able to tell uh, to, to pay people $215,000 in their first year of their professional career. And that's tough. And so you're exactly right. The, the comp yeah. competition for talent for us is a much different one. We don't compete on pay. We actually compete yeah. on the industry we are in, the culture we are yeah. building, the way you have yeah. a very fulfilling career in our company. And it again, Jim, it doesn't hurt. We are a, we are a company of four, where we are Collins Aerospace, but we have three incredibly successful and fascinating and attractive sister companies that all are under the umbrella of Raytheon Technologies. And, and we spend a lot of time as an overall uh, RTX uh, leader, uh, uh, legal uh, department under the RTX General Counsel uh, uh, to make sure that we also switch talent in between. And in fact, I just came back last night from, from Connecticut of a day of meetings where we did exactly that. We, we analyzed who is where and who can we put into a different, different business unit to make sure that we really cross-fertilize our talent and our different Man. different business units. And so that's the value proposition yep. that we have for, for aspiring in-house attorneys. Um, uh, we do pay a competitive and attractive pay. That doesn't hurt. But we do much more than that. We we give you a a real, if you want yeah. to, and if it works out, a a long term runway, long term career in a really exciting industry, and you join a team that is probably the best in the industry. I, I'm I. Uh, that's the one thing where I would say uh, uh, I'm typically a a modest person there i will not yeah. be because i'm convinced it is yeah. the best team in, no in no need to be modest at all uh, absolutely so tell me chris when you read articles like that and when you see um first year associates getting paid or offered 200 plus thousand dollars a year and you and i know and everyone knows that those first year associates know nothing at all Relatively speaking, <laughs> they might have done well at law school, but they have not and yet had the experience. How do you feel as the senior vice president, general counsel of a major corporation, you're seeing those kind of salaries being paid out there? And when you're hiring the top firms, they've got charge-out rates which reflect those salaries. How does that what, what, what do you think? Is that sustainable? What do you think about that? And I'm going to use that as a bit of a dovetail into a question around just, you know, the way you manage law firm relationships and what's important to, to Collins Aerospace there. But before we get there, what's your initial reaction when you see an article like that? My first reaction would be, Jim, who's paying for that? Because it's not the law firm paying for it. Oh, well, I can answer that question. <laughs> I can answer that question. That's, that's right. It, it's the client. It's, and it's so what what the yep. big corporate clients of big firms see is the tendency of ever increasing hourly rates or what, what we as RTX and as Collins do yeah. in particular, we we believe more in the alternative fee arrangements where we get yeah, off right. the clock yep. to make sure uh, it is actually more efficient for us as, as a company seeking legal services. And at the same time, it forges a better relationship and aligns incentives much more between the, the service provider and and the, the corporate client. I will tell you, I mean, there is a reason why uh, uh, these big firms raise their uh, pay. They want to attract the biggest, the best, and brightest from the biggest and best schools. There's obviously a huge and heavy debt burden that yeah. comes with going to law school. And I, I uh, have to tell you, I feel extremely fortunate and privileged that I did not have that issue because I studied in yeah. Germany where things are free. It's a first-class education. And when I came to the U.S., 
uh, I was actually sponsored from A to Z. I literally didn't pay anything for my studies other than maybe like a 10 buck administrative fee. So there is a question yeah. for me as the as the uh, 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 European born uh, uh, lawyer here, how long is that system sustainable? Because I think that's where it starts. You have you have enormous costs associated with legal education, which is terrific in the United States. There's no doubt I, I did that too. But I think the, the cost of it is something that's where it starts because that translates into uh, an expectation of the applicant that I need to be able to make X in order to pay that off. Uh, and you're exactly yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, during the first couple of years, you are more in learning mode in a law firm uh, than, than really providing services that are worth 500 bucks an hour. And so that's, I think it's, it's, a, it's an overall real systemic issue that we all as, as uh, members of the bar need to look at um, because ultimately, it's the corporations paying for it. And I see more and more that corporations are unwilling to do it. Uh, unwilling to do that. Uh, absolutely right. Um, and I, I, I foreshadowed that we're going to talk a little bit about your law firm relationships. What's important to you in your relationship with your law firm? It sounds like uh, the alternative fee arrangement model and moving away from hourly billing is, is one of your goals. A, a, any others that, that, are, that are the priorities for you? Yeah, Jim. It's it's it depends a little bit uh, uh, whether we talk. I don't want to call it run of the mill cases, but um, yes. so there's obviously a little bit more of a routine uh, um, uh, volume of work versus the one that is yep. uh, it requires a little bit more uh, uh, um, either sophistication or experience. Right, yeah. uh, because of yeah. also potentially yeah. that is more material to the corporation than than uh, one one smaller case. Uh, but yeah. in general, I would say that that for us at Collins, we are looking for a partnership. We are looking for a partnership in in how we approach cases and how we dispose of them. The partnership is important because we do a lot of stuff in-house. That That is the great thing about where I am. We have a lot of in-house expertise. We strongly believe that that our in-house lawyers are the best positioned individuals to advocate on behalf of the company and then yep. supplement this with expertise that the law firm provides. And so that that is the partnership that, that we are seeking. And with it comes really an alignment of incentives. So it, it's if, if there's a service provider who the more time they spend on a matter, the more money they get, that may not be in our, in the company's shareholders' best interest. And so aligning the incentives, that's key, yep. which is really this alternative uh, fee arrangement. And, and I think yep. thirdly, Jim, it's a trust a trusted partnership where you really learn from one another. Whether it's on, on legal issues, we have some very thorny legal issues where it's just a delight to work with our established uh, uh, panel firms because they're just so good at what they're doing. And I learn every single day and in, in, in talking to them and, and understanding their, their perspective. Uh, but we also learn from one another. And they learn from us, obviously, because we know our products much better. And so it's, it's just a, a fun uh, yep. intellectual exercise to a great extent. But we also learn from one another when it comes to, for example, diversity, equity, inclusion. So what we did at Collins, we are literally the first legal department in all of RTX that actually started years ago, uh, a, a survey that we sent out to our law firms. And 
there are uh, companies out there that are uh, very progressive and, and uh, kind of like say, you either do this or you're out. Uh, we, we are looking a little bit more for a collaborative, collaborative uh, partnership where we yep. say, tell us what you do. We tell, tell you what we do. Let's compare numbers and let's really understand where we can learn from one another. And that is the most fruitful exchange and cooperation that I feel really yep. not only serves us as the client, best but also law firms it's just it's a wonderful dialogue and then together we can actually move the needle by uh, uh, um, understanding okay you you do these secondments that tell me a little bit more about that or you work with uh, particular law schools or you work with particular uh, uh, associations together let's do this together and let's sponsor an event and let's let's get people together so we can really advance those goals together and that's for me, as a as a leader of this of this uh, group of really esteemed uh, professionals all around the world, that is probably one of the more rewarding uh, yeah. experiences, Jim. Where you we really you you forget about the obviously the client and and service provider relationship is important for various legal, technical, and whatever reason, but where you actually feel uh, more in a collaborative relationship where, where those lines not necessarily blur, but they're not an imped impediment to achieving the yep. goal. Yep. It feels like more of a partnership, uh, uh, working towards common goals. Um, absolutely, absolutely understand that. Christoph, tell me a little bit about, um, the Collins Ability Employees Resources Group and the goals around that. I read a little bit about that, um, and I, that's something you're, you're very committed to. Uh, I'd love the, the audience to learn a bit more. Yeah, that's it's it's a very good question, Jim. So that, the, what we call the ERGs, the Employee Resources Groups, um, they, play, they really play a pivotal, instrumental role in, in helping us uh, literally across all of Collins to inform our culture and make sure that the concerns that our employees have get bundled and surfaced, right? It's, it's you have yep. 70,000 employees worldwide. If, if you yep. have each individual saying, oh, I want this, I want that, that may not be the most productive because yep. oh, what's going to happen with 70,000 requests like this. But when you are able to pool uh, employees and employee resources along common goals, whether it is uh, veterans, uh, whether it is uh, uh, international people, whether it is uh, Hispanics, whether it's uh, abilities, the, the uh, ERG that, that is very near and dear to my heart and that I lead as executive sponsor. So we, we are trying to give employees the opportunity and platform to get together along uh, around common goals and then make sure that their views and voices are heard. And that's very important for us as a company. Every yep. So we have our senior leadership team at Collins. Every single one of those uh, of my peers sponsors one of those ERGs, as we call them. Uh, they come to our regular meetings and uh, in, in a cadence and, and present on what they're doing, where they need help importantly, and where they can do better with our help and support. And that is just enormously empowering for our employees. It's just it's a great, uh, a great system, uh, and uh, they they really get their voices heard, and we make progress. And that's that's really exciting. And I, I just a plug for any and everyone who is listening. If if you haven't done this yet at your company, it's an enormous tool for employees to really uh, feel they are part of the overall. Uh, company and overall company culture, and and uh, it's it's just uh, tremendously rewarding for me as a sponsor of the Abilities ERG, where we have a very very committed and dedicated employees who really 
believe in it doesn't matter what your abilities are, you come to work the way you are. So it's literally an extension of the inclusivity aspect of it, which, which again, I'm very, very uh, uh, attracted by uh, and, and trying to champion it. And, and if you have uh, a uh, speech or vision impairment, what can we do to that you can actually follow a Zoom meeting or an all-hands yeah. meeting by your leader? And that's that, those are the things that make a big difference in the employee's life. Uh, uh, Jim, we, we um, uh, last year introduced subtitles uh, and closed captioning for live uh, all-hands meetings. And what is really amazing is, uh, and this is something we didn't even think about, obviously uh, uh, people who are hard of hearing had a much better way of following, but we have almost as many employees outside the United States than inside. And we have almost uh, uh, half of our employees potentially don't look at English as their uh, uh, language. Yeah. Well, I'm, the, yeah. I'm the best example, Jim. And yeah. um, so I got a lot of notes from people outside the United States. Thank you so much for doing it because now it's much easier for us, obviously, to, to listen, but to yeah. follow. Yeah. And yeah. it, was just, it was just such a aha moment. It's trivial, I'm sure, for 99% of your listeners. But I was just blown away by it. It's like they, these small yeah. things can make such a big difference in employees' lives and how they feel accepted and included in, in, in the workplace. And that's just very exciting. Yeah, and it, sound, it does sound like an incredibly powerful initiative. And Christoph dovetails really when we talk about the beginning of this discussion about the, the, um, the culture. And I think that aligns really well uh, with those discussions. I'm going to wrap up, Christoph, with a couple of my favourite questions. Um, first one, advice that you'd give, Christoph, to your 25-year-old self. That's easy. Learn more languages and study oh. in more countries. Now, you know that everyone listening to this who has one language and studied in one country is going to say, now, Christoph, now you're asking for too much. You're already fluent in German um, and you've studied German. So, and you probably have a third language up your sleeve too that you haven't told us about. Yeah, we will, we will not uh, talk about my French. Well, okay. Uh, I, I obviously haunt those uh, in eight years in, in Belgium, but uh, it, yeah, I, yeah. it is just eye-opening for, for people to have the international experience not everybody needs to be dual qualified uh, like myself uh, in a civil and yep. common law jurisdiction, but just having spent a little bit of time outside what you're used to is yep. just remarkable right. in giving perspective. And, and understanding, uh, Jim, you know, language tells you so much about culture and socialization yep. of a certain country. And so you can't underestimate. So for me, it would, I, I would have loved to spend a year yep. in France, in the south of France, preferably. Yep honing my um, uh, um, wine skills just as well as my uh, language, <laughs> Your language skills. skills. Uh, but yep. that's, that's an easy answer. Yeah, fantastic. Final question to, to wrap up, Christoph. Anything that keeps you up awake at night now? Yeah, it, 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 Jim, the, there are obviously several things that keep me up, uh, literally keep me up uh, awake uh, at night, just last night, for example. One thing is, and I would just... Uh, uh, Put a plug in here for the Collins LCC team. How this team managed the last two years is nothing but inspiring. That's what kept me going, kept me come to work. Uh, and it's just enormously inspiring what each of those uh, team members have done to, to not only manage through COVID, but really excel through COVID and set us up for, uh, for the future. So uh, a, a big thank you to the team, but at the same time, 
I'm worried that that obviously at some point change fatigue sets in and, and the enormous uh, uh, speed that we have been operating at uh, for the last two years can't be uh, uh, the continuous yeah. for the future. And so there is a, a uh, uh, concern that we need to make sure that we watch out for our teammates as we, ha as we have over the last two, two and a half years, but making sure that, that uh, we put well-being of our employees and our teammates really as the first thing. That's the first thing. I think the second thing, Jim, is again, very much to culture competition for talent is this whole remote work environment. Um, I think remote work and, and uh, uh, virtual uh, cooperation is much more than just a cost savings play. I think if done right, you actually don't have to look at the numbers because they will explain to yourself in the future how much more efficient you are. But enabling our team members to work on a more flexible schedule while they get the stuff done is I think uh, that's that's one thing. How do you how do you keep the connectivity of the team? That yeah. like we all are used to going to the office. I'm like one of those old guys who spent probably more years in the office than anywhere else. How do you replicate this water cooler experience? Or yeah. when you go get a sandwich in the cafeteria, you bump in and say, "Hey, how how is the family? Like, how was the weekend? How was the soccer match last last week? Or how's the dog doing? Right? All those very intangible." contact points that that people need and are used to from the office environment. How do you mentor people in yeah. the remote environment? Uh, mentoring is, is a key issue in particular when it comes to what we discussed early on, stretch assignments, taking chances on people. How do you make sure that those who are in those assignments really excel in them and, and get the feedback they need? And, and how do you really nurture the talent of, of tomorrow? So the, the whole remote work environment is, I think, one thing that that we are trying to really address with the, a lot of uh, uh, unconventional things. I, I have a coffee cup here that you, if it's a podcast, you can see it. But we introduced oh, yeah. it called Coffee with Christoph. So we have a lot of virtual, <laughs> virtual interactions, a uh, 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 lot of virtual interactions with a with a. Yeah early career panels or hiring panels or career conversations or uh, flybys, what we call like to mimic the stopping by someone's office. Yeah. Lots of yeah. that stuff that keeps me up at night. And then obviously uh, we have, we have uh, a lot of uh, changes in the legal environment and, and in the kind of how it affects the provision of legal services, whether it's uh, automation, artificial intelligence, we, put a big emphasis on, on ESG, environmental and uh, social and governance issues. Sustainability is a big issue for us. So how in an industry that contributes to the carbon footprint worldwide, transportation is a big contributor. Yeah. Uh, aerospace, uh, aerospace is one. How do you make sure that our products and systems and our engineers, our 20,000 engineers and their creativity, we can put to work to really make sure that we have a sustainable future and, and uh, really leave the world in a better place than what we encountered. Uh, so that's those are kind of Colin-specific, culture-specific concerns. Uh, and there are lots of others that, I mean, you just need to read the news uh, uh, yeah. today, uh, Jim, on, on uh, 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 Europe, geopolitical dislocation, um, cybersecurity, all those things. So there is no shortage of issues that, in fact, keep To, to keep you up, I, 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 can, I, I can tell that. The, the, the one that I'd call out is the opportunities, the missed opportunities for learning that remote work, it's very difficult to replicate. And you, you, are, you and I probably both had the same experience of sitting with or very near mentors, hearing discussions, hearing how people handle difficult situations. All of the learning 
from that close proximity, that's a challenge that I think that faces all of us. Um, and particularly, you know, and it's more severe for those of us that are earlier in our careers. So, so that's certainly right, something that I right think. Right on. I, I will tell you, remote work also has its its opportunities, Jim. I mean, we have been oh, I, I was in preparation for today. I was just looking at our hiring statistics, and we hired five individuals, five lawyers, just over the last six months, I want to say, and they're all in remote locations. And Completely the, remote. The, yeah. the caliber and the talent of people you attract by saying, you know what? It doesn't matter where you are because yeah. we get you in yeah. on a regular basis. We get you the face-to-face -face time. Every Correct. Day. As long as you're doing that, I, well, I think you've got to be creating those those deliberate opportunities. Exactly right. And, and like we are not in the most attractive locations, other than Charlotte, North Carolina, maybe. But um, <laughs> it is it is just amazing the the talent uh, you can you can attract, and suddenly it's a nationwide pool, which is yep. really exciting. Christoph Federsen, it's been an absolute pleasure and a blast speaking to you. Thank you so much for being generous with your time and insightful with your comments. Um, I think the audience is going to absolutely love this show. So thank you very much for stopping. And thank you so much for your time and appreciate you you inviting me here to be, 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 be with you today. Thank you listeners for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.